Hello, you are listening to the Drunken Pen Writing Podcast. I am your host, Caleb James, and I am writing solo today. Uh, my normal co-host, Spencer, the Cucamonga Cootie Catcher Church. I could not be here due to unforeseen circumstances. Uh, mainly, my wife was a little under the weather and just didn't want company over, so whatever. But I decided I would still record an episode all by my lonesome on the riveting topic of aestheticism. I'm sure most of you are very excited to hear me talk about that. Why I bring up aestheticism, it's, it's something that's actually been on my mind recently. I listened to, and I can't remember the name of the podcast, but it was an Oxford lecture series on aestheticism, and I thought it was pretty interesting, and I've been getting the work of James Joyce, which is a main factor in that. If you read The Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man, that um, aesthetics is a big portion of that book like it's a very important theme to the book in most of Joyce's work um Dublinger's maybe not as much but like Ulysses definitely in Finnegan's Wake it's just all about the language and I would say the aesthetics of the writing itself take precedence over the actual story in those like Ulysses and Finnegan's Wake um and there's a lot of authors of the time who not only dabbled in aesthetics but kind of made it their focus of their work. Just for those who are unfamiliar with the term or kind of what the movement was about, uh, aestheticism, it's like the literary and artistic movement that happened around the 18th and 19th centuries. It was mainly just the focus and importance of beauty. So they focus on the importance of beauty uh, in the case I'm talking about literature, but obviously art such as painting and whatnot. And you might say, well, yeah, obviously painting should be uh, beautiful, but not all paintings are meant to be beautiful. But in this particular instance, if something is aesthetic, it's pleasing. That's why we say something is aesthetically pleasing. We mean it's to the to the eye, it's pleasing to the person who is absorbing the material. Uh, they're enjoying it. And what I've found in contemporary fiction, uh, at least the stuff I've read, that seems to be sorely lacking. Now, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of work I've read that's modern that I've enjoyed the work, and I guess to a degree you could say maybe that has some aesthetic uh, appeal, but the actual writing itself, the language used, I find aesthetics are sorely lacking in that regard. So I'm going to just go through a few things, I'm going to read some things on um, aesthetics and just kind of break down some examples of what I'm talking about, what I feel is lacking in a lot of modern work. So, aestheticism is centered on the aesthetic value of art, music, writing, and other creative pursuits over the practical value. Beauty was the most important feature of these works. For the artist, beauty had a value all its own that was worth pursuing. The phrase, art for art's sake, is at the heart of the aesthetics movement. The slogan was also used by the decadent movement in the late 19th century. Uh, that's also something worth looking into if you have the chance. There is no purpose to the art's existence other than to exist as art. The groundwork for aestheticism was laid by Immanuel Kant, a well-known philosopher. In the 1880s, Walter Hamilton named the movement with his The Aesthetic Movement in England. Uh, so blame the English for aesthetics if you, if you want to blame somebody. But that, that phrase, there is no purpose to the art's existence other than to exist as art. I find that fascinating because... I mean, without the story, if we're going to look into literature, without the story, you would think there's no substance to the work. Uh, how do you have a work that's only focused on the art itself and the beauty of the language and 
uh, the story being told. While I don't think there was any explicit purpose to using aesthetics or even if that was really considered in the Japanese writers of the time, I find a lot of classic Japanese fiction seems to focus more on the aesthetics. I don't know if that's just because they had a style that was more focused on the imagery versus necessarily the story or just because like the Buddha's philosophy and stuff that was going around. Because like you think of even like later writers from the uh, 30s, 40s, and 50s like Yukio Mishima, you get a lot of art for art's sake almost in the work. I mean, granted, he told stories, but there was a lot of appeal to fans of aestheticism. So if you read Yukio Mishima's work, if you read uh, Soseki Natsume, if you read... Um, I can't, I mean, it's hard for me to think of more modern Japanese authors that have a focus on that. Like I feel like Ryu Mirakami probably does the opposite. He doesn't want to focus on the beauty. He wants to focus on the ugly. He wants to focus on the underbelly. Haruki Mirakami, he's a good example of you know focusing on the weird, but he does have his touches of beauty. Looking to the Japanese, I find that uh, whether it was purposeful or not, they do have a focus on the aesthetics, but they do a very good job of blending uh, actual story with the aesthetics versus some of the versus some things like Ulysses from James Joyce, which is very hard to follow the plot of the story. That's one of those things that's better read out loud, and really it should be listened to by like someone Joyce, such as Joyce himself reading the. Uh, because I think he also did a Finnegan's Wake reading, at least parts of it, and you could almost understand it better with the Irish lilt because it's it's important to have the the story read in the language that it was written, and not just English, but uh, the accents, the, the, the like I said, the Irish lilt. It's very important that you get the all the cadence of the language in the writer's meaning, uh, or else it will be lost on the reader, and that's what I find Ulysses and Finnegan's Wake where why most people have problems with those works is because you can't focus necessarily on the language itself because you're not reading it the way it's meant to be read. But I would explore those further if you were interested in those. Um, I, ha I have copies of both of those books, and I have, uh, like, Finnegan's Wake, I flipped through it, and I've just, we've talked about it on here. Um, we've talked about it on here many times. It's like, it's impossible. <laughs> I don't know anybody reads that fucking thing. Uh, but... Ulysses is more accessible. There is a story there that can be found. It's just like it takes work, a lot of work. Um, it's one of those books you need uh, a companion or more than one companion works to help you decipher it. So I want to break down the definition of aestheticism a little further here. The artists and writers of the aesthetic movement rejected the practical purposes of their work. For example, creating art or writing that had a social agenda or was tried to convey didactic information. This was anti-ethical to aestheticism. These artists didn't believe that art and writing should convey a moral or allegorical message or promote any single point of view, a distinct reaction to the Victorian period in which these things were important in writing. Instead, they believed in the beauty of art and writing over everything else. It should provide the viewer with a pleasurable experience. The art and writing included many symbols, sensory imagery, sensuality, and more. They, unlike many other artistic movements, rejected the nature as a source of inspiration. The tenets of aestheticism inspired others like the pre-Raphaelites, I don't know what that is, led by artists and writers like Dante Gabriel Rossetti and John Millace. Some predecessors of the aesthetics movement were the later romantics like Shelley, Byron, and Keats. Now I'm going to get into a few examples here. Uh, the main one, 
just from what I remember, I actually haven't read this yet. It's been on my list forever. But just from hearing different people talk, one of the first major examples of aesthetics in a work is The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Now, this is a very famous story. Uh, so I can't say this is one of those instances where art is more important than the story. The aesthetics of the language used probably isn't more important than the story. So we'll look into it a little further here and see if I'm right or wrong. The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde is the best-known literary example of aestheticism. Well, there you go, the best-known. It is also Wilde's only novel. The book follows Dorian Gray, Lord Henry, and Basil Hallward. The former, Dorian, stops aging or showing signs of stress, despite the darker aspects of his personality. Instead, the years of his life play out in a portrait he keeps hidden away in his home, painted by Basil Howard. Throughout the novel, the characters muse on the value of beauty in comparison to everything else. Dorian wishes that his portrait would age instead of him so that he might remain beautiful for as long as possible. Here's a quote from the book. And I just want to say that that's James Joyce's A Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. There's huge chunks of that book. And it's not a very long book, so I would say it's probably his most readable book other than Doubling Ears, but that's short stories. Now, in that book, all the characters also muse on the value of beauty in comparison to everything else. Uh, aestheticism and beauty and art are a huge focus of that novel. But here's the quote from Dorian Gray. Those who find ugly meanings and beautiful things are corrupt without being charming. This is a fault. Those who find beautiful meaning and beautiful things are the cultivated. For these, there is hope. They are the elect to whom beautiful things mean only beauty. There is no such thing as a moral or an immoral book. Books are well written or badly written. That is all. Um, I agree with that for the most part. I still think there could be some books that are very immoral. Just the messaging throughout. But I, I understand what he's saying. The book was first published in July 1890 and was censored, criticized, and banned due to its possible homosexual nature. In addition, it offended much of the British public in the fact that it did not conform morally to what they thought appropriate in literature. When the novel was republished in 1891, Wilde included a preface that defended the novel and his rights to create it. Today, that preface is considered an important literary work in its own right. Uh, I have read that, and that is worth checking out. The next example we have here is Nonsum Qualiserum Bonae Sub Regnod Canara by Ernest Dawson. I never heard of Ernest Dawson, and I've definitely never heard or probably pronounced that uh, this his poem <laughs> properly, but we'll go through and see... Uh, what this is all about. Nonsum qualis erum bonae sub regno caenara is Ernest Dawson's best-known poem and a good example of aesthetic writing. While Dawson is generally considered to be part of the decadent movement, this piece of writing was directly influenced by the principles of aestheticism. The poem tells of a speaker's unending passion for a woman he can't have. He spent a night with a lover but couldn't keep his mind off of Kayanara, a woman he previously loved. Here are a few lines from the poem. Last night, ah, yesternight, betwixt her lips and mine, there fell thy shadow, Kayanara, thy breath was shed, upon my soul between the kisses and the wine, and I was desolate and sick of an old passion. Yeah, I was desolate and bowed my head. I have been faithful to thee, Kayanara, in my fashion. The narrator fell into depression and lost his life and light, Many dark images in this poem help convey the speaker's mental and emotional darkness, but there are also striking moments in which Dawson depicts the woman's red lips and heartbeat. These stand out among the darker images, conveying through symbols the facts that she's the only thing in his life that's remained. 
Now, when it comes to aestheticism and poetry, I, same with metaphor and poetry, I am not keen on it. I am not, and it's, it's just a problem with me, I am not good at spotting uh, the metaphor, like just understanding them too often, uh, especially in a lot of this kind of stuff. And I'm just, maybe it's because I'm not a habitual rereader. I don't like to go back and reread things a lot. So when I read a poem, if I don't get it, they generally get it right off the bat. I, Unless it affects me in a certain way, I usually don't go back and reread it, which means I'm going to just skip over the metaphors I missed. I'm not going to get them. And same with the language used and the aesthetics. I'm just probably not going to get it. And again, that's not a problem with any of the poets that use that style. I just, that's more of an issue with me. Next up, we have A Leave Taking by Algernon Charles Swinburne. In this poem, the speaker talks about a lady's passivity towards a speaker. The latter tried to please the lady the best he could be. However, she remains cold and continues to reject his love. The poet uses repetition and imagery as well as personification throughout this poem. Here is the first stanza. Let us go hence, my song she will not hear. Let us go hence together without fear. Keep silence now, for singing time is over, and over all old things and all things dear. She loves not you nor me as well we love her. Yeah, though we sang an angels in her ear, she would not hear. This poem deals with love, lust, and pure human emotions like sorrow. These are all features that readers can find in other poems of the aestheticism movement. I found that one more enjoyable. I don't know if it was just the way that was written versus the first one, but like I said, I don't have a good eye or ear for poetry. Now, when I say I have an issue with contemporary fiction and feel that it lacks aestheticism, what my main complaints are uh, are just some of the aspects of aestheticism because I'm actually not a, like a huge romantic period fan. Like James Joyce is okay, but I'm not a huge fan of his work. Just reading that excerpt from Dorian Gray does not make me want to read Dorian Gray. And maybe I'm completely incorrect here, but I think of like the work of Tolkien. If you look into the like the Lord of the Rings or the Silmarillion, would be a much better example. Just the style of writing. Uh, I feel that whether that was purposeful or not, probably not, but it's very aesthetic heavy just with the language used. So I'm probably more of, of a person who focuses on the language side of it. Like, for instance, I would say like the number one thing would be the rhythm. Uh, I feel like a lot of modern authors don't have real a real rhythm to their writing. And I've I've talked about this on air a lot about this is something a lot of publishers seem to go for, too. It's, it's this weird style. It's very uniform. It's like these, you get three to four short to mid-range sentences in a paragraph, and each paragraph is like that. It's just like these blocky, it just reads kind of boringly. Like, yeah, you might enjoy the story, but I don't really enjoy the way it's written. Like, when I'm reading it, it doesn't, it doesn't engage a different part of my mind. Um, and, like, the rhythm aspect, I think, is one of the cooler ways to go about it. Like, some writers achieve rhythm in writing automatically. Others use certain aesthetic techniques. For example, you can alternate the length of sentences or move around words and phrases to exploit the flexibility of language. Another way to create rhythm is to make the most of sentence fragments with or without regard to the rules of grammar. Uh, so, you know, rhythm creates a mood and describes people or landscapes more vividly. Like, here's a good quote from Kafka. Don't bend. Don't water it down. Don't try to make it logical. Don't edit your own soul according to the fashion. Rather, follow your most intense obsessions mercilessly. I feel like most modern writers don't care at all about a rhythm. 
Uh, they don't even want to try to find a rhythm. They just think, oh, I just have to tell this story and that'll be fine. So I, I think another important thing is the emotion in your work. Uh, that's another important aspect of aesthetic writing. Uh, every narrative requires emotional elements in order to captivate the minds of the readers. A good piece of writing not only is about having an idea or a story, but also about using your emotion and human sensibility to your advantage. So, you know, a good piece of science fiction might not have anything to do with real life, but it should still pull at the heartstrings of anybody reading it. You know, uh, Stephen King does a good job of, I feel, making readers very interested and emotionally attached to his characters. That's kind of a beauty right there, whether you strongly detest a character or you are super, super bummed when a character gets killed. Like, that's an emotional attachment. That is a beautiful thing. Uh, and that's kind of what the heart of aesthetics is all about, is beauty. Humor is another good one, and you'll find this in Ulysses. You know, you don't have to be a comedy writer, but knowing when to add humor to your writing is a skill. Uh, I find a lot of people who aren't good at writing humor in their works, it sticks out like a sore thumb. Like, you read it, and you're just like, ah, that's... That guy's trying way too hard. Usually you'll find people just think throwing pop culture references into their work makes it humorous. Or they think that being overly edgy is super funny just saying like outrageous shit. And oftentimes that falls flat. The main thing is if you're going humor through your characters, uh, then the characters should seem realistic and they would have their own humor. Uh, also you could go a Douglas Adams route where the stories are very funny and what happens is very funny. And that's more difficult in my opinion than making a character funny. Now, if you want to improve your aesthetics in your own writing, I mean, that's a hard thing to teach someone, uh, write often. Uh, we talk about finding your own personal author's voice. That's a, that's a big part of it. Now, don't overthink it, though. You don't want to go into your writing like, oh, this has to be uh, beautiful. I have to arrange this in such a way that it'll be art in itself and just the way it's written. I still am a story first guy. I think stories are very important, if not more important. And I always think of aesthetic writing almost as experimental writing or poetry, uh, even if you're doing a narrative. You know, just kind of keep that in mind. You don't have to go balls to the wall all out and trying to create this dreamscape beautiful like type of style in your writing but you can add elements i mean i think of like cormac mccarthy's work granted all his work is always fucking bleak and awful but just even like in blood meridian when we uh, covered that book for i think that was last halloween none of us cared for the nihilistic messaging of that book but some of the paragraphs granted most of the paragraphs were five pages long but some of them were so beautifully written that even though what was being discussed in the paragraphs were hideous awful horrible things that were happening to the characters uh and we're talking about the most horrible things that could happen to people uh it was written so beautifully that it was still aesthetically pleasing to the reader which is why i think people really like that book it's because it's such a stark contrast with the language uh, compared to the message and the story of that book. Uh, and Cormac McCarthy does that in a lot of his work, but the other things I've read of his, the language wasn't so intense, uh, like The Road or Outer Dark. I, f I didn't find the language uh, very challenging. Um, and, and that's another thing I think people think about when uh, it goes into aesthetics, where they immediately go to like a Ulysses, where they think it has to be this challenging you have to study it to understand what's going on. 
Not necessarily. That's why I go back to the Japanese fiction a lot. So much of that stuff I've read from Yukio Mishima was so aesthetically pleasing and beautiful. And it was just the way he wrote. It didn't have anything to do with trying to be beautiful, uh, trying to have art for art's sake. It was just how it came across because that was his writing style. And that's what you really want to do is you want to be able to tell a story and just happens to also be beautifully told, such as Lord of the Rings or The Silmarillion. Uh, and I haven't read Tolkien's other work outside of, uh, you know, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, and Silmarillion, but I am sure most of his work follows suit because that was his writing style, and he had a very strong love for language, which goes into all, his, all of his work. So when you look at Tolkien's work, especially The Silmarillion, uh, all the names, and there's a fuck ton of names in that book of places and people, uh, but all the names, they all have a purpose, and uh, the way he wrote those, if you go into certain characters maybe or a city maybe it's supposed to be like a type of people uh they're supposed to be like this beautiful flowery kind of people or something he wants you to think of water or he want whatever he wants to think and whatever the root words that mean what he wants you know what he's trying to express he gives them a name that just flows um I think a really good example would be like some of the orc names because they're supposed to be gross and guttural and awful, evil, craggly things. So all of the even the name orc, like that's just a ooh, that's that comes from the deep in the throat. That's a rough name. The opening of the Silmarillion is Analinale, and uh, then you have the Valaquenta, and like just like they flow because its opening is about music, like music created the world. Iluvatar, the god, he used uh, the music to kind of create the world, and that's the Analindale. Like, it's just this beautiful word that he created, and that's just, like, aesthetics through language that I really enjoy. That's probably more what I focus on than uh, even the imagery, necessarily, when I uh, go into it, but so this doesn't go on forever. I just, I really wish more contemporary writers would focus on the art side of writing and not just the storytelling or trying to captivate the audience through the story. While that is very important, I would like, uh, and I guess that's maybe where genre fiction comes into play or when people say, uh, you know, Stephen King isn't a literary writer, it's because he doesn't use language that way. Uh, Stephen King's work isn't aesthetically pleasing when you read it. Uh, for the most part, I I haven't come across any of his work where I read something and like the actual writing affected me deeply, not the story or the scenes or any of that, just like the writing itself. And like Fitzgerald, again, granted, he was uh, probably more of like the romance era type of writing, but like his language or Marcel Proust or even Ernest Hemingway, even though he's a very simplistic writer, his style and the messaging and the metaphor usage it just, it, again, it just I keep saying it, aesthetically pleasing. Like, when you read it, even the writing itself, you might not enjoy the story, but the writing itself you enjoy. Uh, and we've talked about this before on here, where it's very important that you can write a story in a way that the, in, the reader will actually enjoy the writing, even if they don't like the story. So you have a book that maybe the reader doesn't actually like your story. They don't care about what you're talking about, but the way you wrote it keeps them reading to the end. And they might give you a review later saying, oh, I hated that story. I didn't like that story at all. But it was beautifully written. And I love the way the style and I just I would read it again for that. Like that's the kind of stuff 
uh, that's very important and stands out. And that's that's kind of what separates art just from uh, distraction or escapism even. Uh, just work that's meant to just kind of uh, take you away for a little bit from your life. But that's about it. That's all it does. It doesn't leave you with any deep meanings or morals or anything like that. And it doesn't have a real impact on you. And maybe just I'm getting older and that's just like I want more beauty in my life. I just tend to gravitate now more towards work that I find aesthetically beautiful as well as, uh, you know, engaging and interesting. So if you folks, you know, if you have any contemporary fiction that you could kind of steer my way that you feel follow, you know, is more artistic and still tells a good story, but is more artistic. I would really, again, not necessarily poetry. I'm talking about like actual books, like uh, a- actually well-written novels. I would really enjoy. Uh, it's just, I can't, every time I try a modern novel, I just, I get, like, I might even like the story, but it's just like, I don't care. This fucking writing sucks. <laughs> like, I hate to say it, just a lot of contemporary writers, they just aren't really good writers. Maybe they're good storytellers, but they're not good writers. To be the best, you got to be both. But anyway, if you enjoyed this kind of episode, I could always do more. Where I'm just rambling on a random topic. Uh, I could, I won't replace Spencer permanently with just myself. Uh, but uh, if you folks like this kind of stuff, let me know. Uh, I could always do companion episodes where it's just me rambling on a topic. You go to drunkenpenwriting.com to check out our work, and we have a contact page there if you want to reach out. At uh, on Twitter, we are at drunkpenwriting, and Instagram at Facebook at drunkenpenwriting. So uh, check us out, and you know, let me know what you think. See you later. Mm-hmm.